Hey, Poetry for all listeners. We're doing things a little differently today and sharing a preview of another podcast we've been enjoying and think you will too. It's called Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, and it's a weekly interview show where people sound like people. Each Sunday, Sam invites actors, writers, activists, and musicians to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. It's a time for people to take a pause, share how they arrived at the place they are today, and express their dreams for where they hope to go tomorrow. Some of our favorite episodes include interviews with Ocean Vong, Margaret Atwood, and Nikki Giovanni. And in this preview you're about to hear, you'll hear Sam in conversation with MacArthur fellow Claudia Rankin. The illustrious poet, author, and playwright discusses her 2020 book, Just Us, an American Conversation. She speaks to what she's learned after three decades of writing, how history remains present for black people, and why we must repeatedly unpack what privilege looks and sounds like in America. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Claudia Rankin as much as we did. And you can hear the full episode and more from Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso wherever you get your podcasts. You said that going into Citizen, your previous book, that you wanted to find language to mark the unmarked, the quotidian, the experiences and instances where you'd felt diminished, assaulted, ignored, and in turn for that book, you called your black friends and asked about a time where they were doing something ordinary in their life. And then someone close to them did something or said something that made them realize that in their eyes, they are no one. What was your framework going into just us? What if we just tried to speak to each other about these issues that we have not talked about, about whiteness, about how being in a country where white supremacy is foundational to our day-to-day lives and where anti-blackness is normalcy? Can we talk about these things? And one of the early essays in the book is me just going up to white men and asking them about white privilege as a way to start. You bring up the history of Thomas Jefferson. I want to quote it. He wrote, But never yet could I find that a black had uttered a thought above the level of plain narration. Never see even an elementary trait of painting or sculpture. In music, they are more generally gifted than the whites, with accurate ears for tune and time. Misery is often the parent of the most affecting touches in poetry. Among the blacks, misery is enough, God knows, but no poetry. It cannot produce a poet. You talk about holding history in the palms of our hands, And I couldn't help but read that last line. Among the blacks, misery is enough, God knows. But no poetry. It cannot produce a poet. One of the reasons I wanted that in there was because it was a moment to have that conversation with him. There are many white men now who will say, Claudia Rankin is not a poet. She has not written a single poem. (laughs) There was a student on um, Twitter the other day who said her professor said 
that I had never written a poem. So his position is not history. It is present. It's present day history. But I think that moment for me was a moment of that kind of laughter that I referred to earlier with my husband, that the funny, not funny. It's funny. And then it becomes tragic the way it continues. The poets, it's not that I am in need of their recognition. God knows, no. But I feel bad that students have to be tweeting things like, my white professor said Claudia Rankin is not a poet. They have to feel like they have to stand up for me in the face of that, even today even in 2020. And forget about me. Like, if they're saying that about my work, what are they saying about other Black people's work? How are they qualified to be teaching that person in the first place? And so that kind of thing becomes bittersweet. When I feel the moment building in all the ways and all the conversations that I know exist around a moment like that. It's been building for you for three decades of writing. And I can't help but shake what a white woman who came up to you at a book reading said to you. She said, I've been doing anti-racist work since the 80s. I'm here to tell you, it makes no difference. You know, when she said that, we both just started laughing. Well, I started laughing and then she started laughing. That sense of you just pushing a rock up a hill, lady. <laughs> but what's interesting to me and what I appreciate in the work of people like Ibram Kendi or Robin D'Angelo is not so much that they will convince people to behave differently, is that they are naming dynamics that are that we recognize. I feel like I have the ability to describe these dynamics, but they have the ability to name them. So that suddenly we are now at a point in the culture where we have language for certain dynamics, either white fragility or white defensiveness. Whereas before you were like, and then he said this, and then I said this, and and da 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 da. And now you can say, white defensiveness. <laughs> so I feel like in that sense, she's wrong, that the work has allowed for the seeing of things. Maybe it hasn't changed the way white people behave, but it's allowed people like me to know what to call it. Do you feel like your work has made a difference? I don't know. I know that my work has been supported and read by people, and I hope that it's useful to them. And I know that for me, I value the books that I value. And they help me think about things in the world. So it's a real honor that other people hold my work in, this, you know, in a similar way. How about you, Claudia? To write what you write, has it helped you operate through the world? What's exciting to me about creating books is how the structure of the book 
helps the content of the book breathe. And to me, it's not just a question of writing a book. I really need for the way in which the book is structured to somehow communicate the content. So in Just Us, I feel like the task before me was how in the age of fake news and no science can I make a book that brings the facts back even as we're talking across the table from each other in quotidian ways, but with the carefulness of the archives and research and also with the randomness of associated thinking. And so that's why I wanted the book to have the verso recto pages communing with each other. And when I figured that out, that was an exciting moment for me as a writer. So it's not as if I, the books live out beyond me. It's the time when I'm making them that I feel the most alive. That it's, it's like I'm doing calculus, like I'm really, I have these math problems <laughs> and I'm trying to figure them out. And then suddenly I figure out, okay, this will go here and this will go here and this will be in conversation. And the Fred Moten quote, it's going to happen twice because I really think it's the most important quote in the book. And, you know, like things like that. And that, that to me is why I write, why I make things. I'm so glad you make things. And in leaving this conversation, I want to go to your final chapter. In it, there are some urgent words that I think people really need to be thinking about right now. You write, in most cases, we have already decided about everything and everyone. But real thinking, the effect theorist Lauren Berlant writes, interrupts the flow of consciousness with a new demand for scanning and focus. To be forced into thought is to begin to formulate the event of feeling historical in the present. What does that mean to you, feeling historical in the present? You know, I'm a great fan of Lauren Blonde's work. And in fact, her book, Cruel Optimism, is right on my desk, <laughs> right here. And that sense that you allow yourself to stand right now in this moment with the history of the moment and the ways in which it shapes you and shapes what I'm saying to you and what you're saying to me and what's happening in the world. That's not scary for us, that we can live with it. We can take it into account. In some ways, it can determine what our next step should be i.e. voting in the 2020 election. You know, so I, I, that the end, I really wanted the closing of the book to engage what it means to feel yourself as part of a public, part of, not that there is a single public, but that we have a sense of connection with each other and that we believe that your livelihood and my livelihood and her livelihood and his are all important. And that there are ways in which we can get each of us to live without feeling precarious, 
from moment to moment. Since you do have the book in front of you, would you mind reading from the bottom of 333 and 335? Not at all. As a naturalized citizen, I am as connected to the ones who say, go back to where you come from or send her back as I am to the democratic process that names me an American citizen. And as unknowable as I am to anyone else, I forever remain in relation to everyone else. I am not a part of the one, but I am one. There is no beyond of citizenship. A stranger tells me he thought the goal was understanding himself as different from, but then he came to understand his sameness. He came to understand himself to be living also among other humans who are not white, living within a structure set up to disenfranchise those others. Arthur Jaffa said, as a black person, you know whiteness and experience it. How do you contain that and white people who you know and love? I might extend this to all persons who you know and love, each one, one at a time. Our lives could enact a love of close reading of who we each are, the love of a newly formed, newly conceived one, made up of obscure but sensed and unnamed publics in an yet unimagined future. What I know is that an inchoate desire for a future other than the one that seems to be forming our days brings me to a seat around any table to lean forward, to hear, to respond, to await response from any other. Tell me something, one thing, the thing, tell me that thing. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I waited all these years to talk to you. It's been a pleasure. Four years ago, I asked you to come on and in the aftermath of reading your new book, my understanding of the world around me changed, shattered in the same ways they shattered after reading something like The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin or The Brown Bag of Miscellany by Sora Neale Hurston. And so it's okay that you took four years. You could have taken 40. <laughs> Maybe I walked. <laughs> Claudia Rankin, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. That was a preview of Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, a podcast from Pushkin Industries. You can hear more of Talk Easy wherever you get your podcasts.